This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Support this podcast by joining the independent progressive media revolution today at humanistreport.com. Welcome to the Humanist Report Podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 70th episode of the program. Today is November 24th, and before we get started, we have several people to thank for deciding to join the Independent Progressive Media Revolution. We want to send a big thank you to James Paris for submitting another donation to the Humanist Report. We also have Gregory Stolnacker and Dana Fairbanks to thank. So these individuals either submitted a donation to us via PayPal or became members on humanistreport.com or signed up to be Patreon patrons. So if you'd like to support the show, you can visit the links down below in the description box or as always, you can support the show for free by simply liking and sharing our videos or whitelisting us on Adblock and it's that easy. So on today's episode, we have several topics to get to. First, I'll give you an update on the Dakota Access Pipeline protest and also Debbie Wasserman Schultz is back in the news. I'll tell you why. Also, the the infamous Clinton surrogate David Brock is back and he is gearing up to kick Trump's ass. So I'll tell you what his laughable plan is. Also, Hillary Clinton's popular vote lead continues to grow. It's now at 2 million at the time of recording this. I'll also discuss Bernie Sanders, Tulsi Gabbard, and the ongoing Trump presidential disaster. So all of these topics and more will be discussed in today's episode. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Members of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, along with other water protectors, have now been relentlessly protesting the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline for many months, and they have been met with nothing but state-sanctioned violence, militarized police officers in riot gear, Uh, they've been attacked by guard dogs of armed mercenaries, and just when you thought that it couldn't get any worse, it did. (laughs) Nearly everyone in the crowd is coughing, spitting up due to the heavy amounts of tear gas they're firing into the crowd. <laughs> Here on the front lines of Standing Rock uh, DAPL protest, this is a medic. So basically we have water cannons that are aimed towards our water protectors, so we're having severe cases of hypothermia. They are aiming for people's hands. Uh, I took one patient that had the skin shot off of his finger, so he was down to the bone. They're also aiming for the heads. There was another brother that uh, got shot in the head and was losing consciousness. So it's pretty deliberate and it's it's pretty violent. Woman got shot in the head too, said this gentleman. This is a blind one basically, coming back to the front lines. Shooting uh, smoke bombs and getting into the ground and we were trying to throw them back but it's too hot and it's getting into our face. And They're just spraying over there with cold water, freezing cold water and keep on gassing people keep on macing people. This is not okay. We're here to be peaceful. Two guys coming down up front. We're not here for violence and they're responding with violence and cruelty. We got water? Yeah, but we only have one. Oh, I'm gonna say, one? Oh, yeah, 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 the, the white top. Right, I'll get it, but that's He also needs a blanket. Who has a blanket? There's a blanket right behind him. There's a lot of no, honestly, when someone came and put a blanket on me earlier, it just pushed the fucking water under my skin and made me cold. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does anyone have a flashlight? I took my jacket off. I had more layers. Two guys in the crowd. Uh, my name is Emily Whitehorse. Oh, yeah. What's happening here? 
We were doing a, a peaceful action at the bridge and the police arrived in full riot gear and started shooting water at us. Um, it's near freezing out. People are freezing on their coats. Um, and I, I mean, we're just protecting the water and the police are working for, for Dapple right now and armed like military. You're breaking humanity rules. Laws of humanity. We gather in peaceful prayer and you attack us with rubber bullets, arm bullets, percussion grenades, tear gas, and tanks. It's okay because this is native people. We're not going to go anywhere. This isn't the first time we've been shot at, and it won't be the last. Now, after watching this, I am genuinely worried about the safety of the protesters. So please, if you are out there, be safe. Take precautions. I don't want to say this, and I hope that I'm wrong, but with the way that things are going, somebody is going to end up getting killed, and I hope that that's not the case, but these people are putting their lives on the line because water is life, and you shouldn't have to fight for clean drinking water in the 21st century in a first world country, yet these people are having to do that all because an oil company wants to profit off of the destruction, potentially, of their water supply. It's despicable. It's disgusting. And their First Amendment rights to peacefully assemble and protest are being denied. If you can no longer come out and state your grievances with a company that wants to violate the sovereignty of a Native American tribe, one of the largest in the country, and make their drinking water vulnerable, then you, this isn't a democracy. If you can't protest that, we don't live in a democracy anymore. Now, according to The Intercept, after this incident, 300 people were treated for injuries and 26 were taken to a hospital. And get this, a 21-year-old woman might literally lose her arm after being shot with a concussion grenade. A state government literally threw a concussion grenade at a peaceful protester. I don't even know how to respond to this. You know, what's happening in our country? You look at the election and you see how that was just a huge debacle, but looking at the state level and how money has infiltrated politics and how the state of North Dakota is literally doing violence against protesters at the behest of a greedy oil company, it's just so appalling to me. It's so appalling. Now, I'm going to put a link to the GoFundMe page of this girl so that way we can help her out because she's 21. I mean, she's doing what she believes in. She's standing up for drinking water that's clean. Again, we shouldn't have to fight for this. This is 2016. Now, the leader of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, uh, Dave Archambault too. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but I just want to get the message out there. Uh, he actually called on President Obama to halt the construction of the pipeline. He states the easement to build the unsafe Dakota Access Pipeline has not been granted. But under the cover of darkness, North Dakota law enforcement continues to engage in unlawful and dehumanizing tactics to subdue peaceful water protectors with tear gas and water cannons. Live video footage on Facebook this Sunday night clearly document that North Dakota's law enforcement and government officials have sanctioned aggressive acts in failed attempts to disperse water protectors who have the right to demonstrate against and report on this failing project. It's time for President Obama to condemn these tactics and this pipeline. Our culture, our children, and our homelands have repeatedly been stolen from us. We are deeply saddened that despite the millions of Americans and allies around the world who are standing with us at Standing Rock, 
a single corporate bully backed by U.S. government taxpayer dollars through a militarized law enforcement continues to be sanctioned by aggressive unlawful acts. President Obama, this cannot be your legacy. But unfortunately, this is. We know that he temporarily halted the construction of the pipeline, but again, we got an update and he said that he wants to wait a couple of weeks and see how this plays out. Right now, the Army Corps is examining whether there are ways to reroute uh, uh, this pipeline so in a way right. so so we're, we're, we're gonna let it play out uh, for uh, several more weeks and, and determine whether or not this can be resolved um, in a way that I think uh, uh, is properly attentive to the traditions of the first Americans you were elected to represent the people you told us that you would usher in an era of change in US politics and by remaining silent on one of the biggest issues if not the biggest issue right now in the country it makes you a coward and you are taking a huge shit all over your legacy Obama if you don't speak up now we have people like Bernie Sanders relentlessly advocating on behalf of the Standing Rock Sioux tribe along with other water protectors we have people like Tulsi Gabbard who are coming out and urging President Obama to remove the company's construction permits so that way they just can't build this pipeline now, my question is, where's the media? We saw a fraction of coverage for a second when Shailene Woodley, an actress who was protesting on behalf of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, was arrested. We saw that covered for a little bit. Uh, and now, they're silent. Uh, where is progressive lions like Elizabeth Warren? Because she's someone who, when she speaks, the media pays attention. So if she just makes a simple tweet, this could really draw a lot of media coverage of it. But, I mean, she's remaining silent. And anyone who is a progressive or claims to be a progressive and doesn't speak out, please speak out. I'm not saying this to be critical of Elizabeth Warren or other progressives. I'm genuinely asking you to help out these protesters. Just saying the words, stop the Dakota Access Pipeline, could make a huge difference. But silence is deafening. And with an issue this big, with lives now literally being on the line, you cannot afford to be silent. So my message is, please, if you're protesting, be careful. Uh, protect yourself. Uh, and again, if you're not there, let's do what we can to help them. Support the GoFundMe page. Uh, support the Standing Rock Tribe monetarily. If you could submit a donation, that would be greatly appreciated right now, I'm sure, because they need everything they can get. We have helped foot the legal fees for people who were arbitrarily arrested, and now I think we can help with this girl and her medical bills. And look, overall, we've got to come together as a country. I don't care what your political affiliation is and reject this pipeline, because not only does it violate the sovereignty of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, but I'm tired of these oil companies putting our water at risk for profit. It's not acceptable. So, again... We've got to come together and do what we can to stop this. Regardless, if you love or hate Hillary Clinton, you simply just can't deny the fact that she's corrupted by big money. When she was Secretary of State, she gave special access to and approved weapons deals for Clinton Foundation donors. And she presumably set up a private email server to hide this corruption from the public. And people on the left and right have spoken out against this type of behavior. And that includes Donald Trump. And in fact, during his campaign, he promised that he would appoint a special prosecutor to investigate investigate Hillary Clinton and potentially jail her for this corruption. But all of a sudden, now that he's president-elect, he's having a little bit of a change of heart. Take a look. Hillary Clinton may be the most corrupt person ever to seek 
the presidency of the United States. She is a crooked one. There's no question. Hillary Clinton will be under investigation for a long, long time for her many crimes against our nation, our people, our democracy, likely concluding in a criminal trial. I think when the president-elect, who's also the head of your party now, Joe, tells you before he's even inaugurated, he doesn't wish to pursue these charges, it sends a very strong message, tone and content to the members. And I think Hillary Clinton still has to face the fact that a majority of Americans don't find her to be honest or trustworthy. But if Donald Trump can help her heal, then perhaps that's a good thing. Um, I do... Look, I think he's thinking of many different things as he prepares to become the president of the United States. And things that sound like the campaign aren't among them. Now, he also claims that the Clintons have, quote, been through enough. And quite frankly, even though she should have been indicted by the Department of Justice, I've been consistent in maintaining that I don't know whether or not it's a jailable offense. Most likely, if she were to be found guilty in the court of law, she'd simply just be fined at most. But I mean, nonetheless, many of Donald Trump supporters are now outraged saying, what the hell? You said that you were going to do this. You said you were going to prosecute her corruption. What's going on? And look, I found myself in a similar position to you guys eight years ago when President-elect Obama took office, and he chose not to prosecute the war crimes of George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. Now, the question is, why would he not prosecute blatant acts of war crimes? Well, the answer was simple. It was because Obama wanted to commit war crimes himself because he's done things that I think are tantamount uh, to violations of international law. For example, you can look at the drone program that he ramped up right after Bush took office and the extent to which civilians are killed by this program. It's just terrifying. So Obama, however, didn't want to prosecute George Bush for this because he didn't want to be subject to the same prosecution. And if you kind of fill in the dots there and you look at Donald Trump and question why wouldn't he want to prosecute Hillary Clinton for corruption? Well, it's simple. It's because he wants to be corrupt himself. And in fact, just being president-elect now for about three weeks has shown that he wants to do nothing more than enrich himself as president of the United States. And there are various examples for this. So Salon explains, reports continue to pile up about president-elect Donald Trump using his political power to promote his business interests. Argentine newspaper La Nación reported that when President Mariko Macri called Trump to congratulate him on winning the presidency, Trump asked Macri to facilitate the construction of an office building that he has for several years had his eye on building. According to TPM, complications involving permitting requirements, financing, and importing building materials had been holding it up, and Trump apparently believed that Macri could help him work them out. Additionally, leaked news of a meeting between President-elect Donald Trump and a trio of Indian real estate executives has ethics watchdogs worried about the incoming administration. According to a report from the New York Times on Saturday, Trump met with Sagar Chordia, Atul Chordia, and Kalpesh Mehta on Tuesday in Trump Tower. The three men have said in the past that they wish to expand their business relationship with the Trump organization now that Trump has been elected to run the country. Sagura Chordia confirmed by text message with the New York Times the accuracy of an Indian newspaper report saying the meeting had indeed been about expanding deals with Trump's businesses. Now, anticipating the criticism that I'll receive for this argument from Trump supporters, they'll say, well, Mike, 
The problem is that Hillary Clinton was taking money from really egregious regimes like Saudi Arabia, where they kill gays uh, and, and they subordinate women to second-class citizens. And Donald Trump actually asked this of Hillary Clinton during a debate. Why don't you give back the money? I think it would be a great gesture. And he's right there. It's a legitimate question. So by him posing that question to Hillary Clinton, why she would accept money from Saudi Arabia, why won't you give it back? Well, he's not going to do the same thing, right? And try to profit off of Saudi Arabia? Well, The Hill explains, President-elect Donald Trump registered eight companies during his presidential campaign that appeared to be tied to hotel interests in Saudi Arabia, according to a report in the Washington Post. Trump registered the companies in August 2015, shortly after launching his presidential bid, according to the Post. Now, according to Raw Story, foreign leaders that travel to the U.S. will be helping to enrich Trump as well. So after a Washington Post report detailed that foreign diplomats now feel pressure to stay at the president-elect's hotel in D.C., one Asian diplomat said, why wouldn't I stay at his hotel? Blocks from the White House so I can tell the new president I love your new hotel. Isn't it rude to come to his city and say I am staying at your competitor? On Monday morning, a law professor at George Washington University, Stephen Schooner, appeared on MSNBC and questioned Trump running the country while maintaining his business at the same time. Because Trump does business in various countries, Schooner said that the new president-elect could have an impeachment issue because you have foreign states basically paying money to the Trump organization by using their hotels. And there's a name for all of this. It's called corruption because obviously his business creates a gigantic conflict of interest now here's what trump said about this so according to the new york times pressed to respond to criticism in other areas he was defiant he declared that the law's totally on my side when it comes to questions about conflict of interest and ethics laws the president can't have a conflict of interest he said he said it would be extremely difficult to sell off his businesses because they are real estate holdings he said that he would like to do something and create some kind of arrangement to separate his businesses from his work in government. He noted that he had turned over the management of his businesses to his children, which ethics lawyers say is not sufficient to prevent conflicts of interest. No shit. He insisted that he could still invite business partners into the White House for grip and grin photographs. He said that critics were pressuring him to go beyond what he was willing to do, including distancing himself from his children while they run his business. If it were up to some people, he said, I would never even see my daughter Ivanka again. Mr. Trump did not dispute reports that he had used a meeting last week with Nigel Farage, the UK Independence Party leader, to raise his opposition to offshore wind farms. Mr. Trump has long complained that wind farms would mar the view from his golf course in Aberdeenshire, Scotland. I might have brought it up, Trump said, then argued he had done so because of policy concerns about wind farms rather than any personal interest. Now, he also states, in theory, I could run my business perfectly and then run the country perfectly. Yeah, and Donald Trump claims that I think the Trump brand is hotter than it's ever been. So it's clear that being president will make Donald Trump the richest that he's ever been. And it's very evident that he pursued that office just to enrich himself. Is anyone surprised by this? So look, if you're wondering why Donald Trump doesn't want to prosecute Hillary Clinton for corruption, it's because he's going to get an office and do the same exact thing, but perhaps worse. Bigly.
So with the rise of this so-called alt-right phenomenon, which is effectively just an American neo-Nazi movement, many people are now questioning whether or not this came directly as a result of Donald Trump. And that's not necessarily the case. This group did not emerge or it certainly wasn't catalyzed because of Donald Trump's campaign or defeat of Hillary Clinton. However, it is a fact that these groups have now been emboldened because of Donald Trump. Hail Trump! Hail our people! Hail victory! No one mourns the great crimes committed against us. For us, it is conquer or die. The mainstream media, or perhaps we should refer to them in the original German, Lugenpresse. It's not just that they are leftist and cucks. It's not just that many are genuinely stupid. Indeed, one wonders if these people are people at all. <laughs> or instead, soulless golem, animated by some dark power to repeat whatever talking point John Oliver stated the night before. <laughs> to be white is to be a striver, a crusader, an explorer, and a conqueror. We build, we produce, we go upward. And we recognize the central lie of American race relations. We don't exploit other groups. We, we don't gain anything from their presence. They need us and not the other way around. Within the very blood in our veins as children of the sun lies the potential for greatness. That is the great struggle we are called to. We are not meant to live in shame and weakness and disgrace. We were not meant to beg for moral validation from some of the most despicable creatures to ever populate the planet. We were meant to overcome, overcome all of it, because that is natural and normal for us. The press has clearly decided to double down and wage war against the legitimacy of Trump and the continued existence of white America. But they are really opening up the door for us. America was, until this past generation, a white country designed for ourselves and our posterity. It is our creation. It is our inheritance and it belongs to us. So that was Richard Spencer. He is president of the National Policy Institute, which is literally a white supremacist think tank. Uh, and even many of Donald Trump's supporters think that he's batshit insane because he is, in fact, batshit fucking insane. Now, this is only a small fraction of the support that Donald Trump receives, uh, because obviously half the country, they're not Nazis, right? But with the level of hate crimes that have been on the rise and the ascendancy of these types of groups and the mainstream attention that they're getting, may many people are now questioning whether or not the country is going in a very dangerous direction. And I think that that's a legitimate concern. So Donald Trump did, in fact, disavow them. In an interview with New York Times, he states, I don't want to energize the group and I disavow the group. It's not a group I want to energize. And if they are energized, I want to look into it and find out why. I condemn them. I disavow and I condemn. 
Now, according to ABC News, his campaign released a statement yesterday saying that Trump continued to denounce racism of any kind and he was elected because he will be a leader for every American. To think otherwise is a complete misrepresentation of the movement that united Americans from all backgrounds. That denunciation, it is more tepid than I would have liked, but it is a denunciation nonetheless. So, with that in mind, since he is disavowing the alt-right, he is probably trying to disassociate himself from this group in other ways too, right? So he's going to be firing Steve Bannon, who is associated with this movement, who is a white supremacist himself, right? Wrong. Trump defended Bannon in his New York Times meeting, saying that he's known him for a long time and that the allegations of anti-Semitism and connections to the alt-right are not him. If I thought he was racist or alt-right, I wouldn't even think about hiring him, Trump said Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, your condemnation, Trump, of the alt-right means nothing if you're going to have someone associated with that movement in your administration. And look, the alt-right movement itself, it certainly is very amorphous. It's difficult to pin down where the line begins and ends, but certainly white supremacy, anti-Semitism are all associated with it. And those are views championed by your chief strategist. So you have to pick a side, Donald Trump. You can't do this little tap dance around the issues. Either you unequivocally condemn the alt-right and disassociate yourself with them entirely, including firing Steve Bannon, or you're in bed with them. Because even if it is the case that you truly believe that you are going to represent every single American, no matter what their uh, orientation or gender or race is, then actually put your words into action and fire Steve Bannon. So, I mean, there's one of two conclusions. Either Donald Trump is completely ignorant to Steve Bannon and he's telling the truth there, or he knows about Steve Bannon and just doesn't care. And I think it's probably the latter because Steve Bannon, his record is out there. He He's your chief strategist. We don't want anyone associated with a neo-fascist movement or the alt-right or white supremacy or anti-Semitism to be anywhere near the White House. But the fact that you were allowing him to advise you and be your chief strategist is appalling. So if you truly are against the rhetoric espoused by the alt-right, then purge them from your cabinet and administration. Don't hire them. Don't associate yourself with them. In a surprise turn of events, Tulsi Gabbard, the representative from Hawaii and potential 2020 presidential candidate, actually held a private meeting with Donald Trump, and many are now speculating whether or not Donald Trump will offer her a position in his cabinet. So... The question now is whether or not she should actually accept that position. Well, I'll talk about that, but first let's get to the details. So, according to The Hill, Trump's chief strategist, white supremacist Steve Bannon, is reportedly a big fan of Gabbard because of her right-leaning stances on guns, refugees, and Islamic extremism. Now, other Republicans reportedly like her as well because she did not support the Democratic Party's attempt at gun control legislation, and she was also critical of of President Obama for not using the terms, quote, Islamic extremism. Now, I disagree with her on these things, and I think that to not use the term Islamic extremism is really a benign omission, right? Because we all know that when terrorism happens, if it was in fact a Muslim that was uh, radicalized, then yes, it is an act of Islamic extremism. 
But I like I don't I don't get how that's going to defeat ISIS. They're not just going to vanish poof when you say those magical words. That's not the way this works. So I, I never got that criticism, and I'm surprised that she's actually taking this stance. But nonetheless, I mean, she is right on many other policy positions. Now the question is, even though she endorsed Bernie Sanders, uh, she voted for Hillary Clinton. So why the hell would she meet with Donald Trump? Well, I'll let her explain. So in a statement that she released, she says. President-elect Trump and I had a frank and positive conversation in which we discussed a variety of foreign policy issues in depth. I shared with him my grave concerns that escalating the war in Syria by implementing a so-called no-fly zone would be disastrous for the Syrian people, our country, and the world. It would lead to more death and suffering, exacerbate the refugee crisis, strengthen ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and bring us into a direct conflict with Russia, which could result in a nuclear war. We discussed my bill to end our country's illegal war to overthrow the Syrian government, and the need to focus our precious resources on rebuilding our own country and on defeating al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other terrorist groups who pose a threat to the American people. For years, the issue of ending interventionist regime change warfare has been one of my top priorities. This was the major reason why I ran for Congress, uh, and I saw firsthand the cost of war and the lives lost due to the interventionist warmongering policies our country has pursued for far too long. Let me be clear. I will never allow partisanship to undermine our national security when the lives of countless people lay in the balance. Now, she claims that Donald Trump did not offer her a position, and that's not what they talked about. Uh, I don't buy it. <laughs> Tulsi, you're not fooling anyone. That was obviously what you talked about. Uh, so, look, here's the thing. When it comes to whether or not Tulsi should accept this... I am relatively torn for two reasons. So one, I think that this would be a good thing if she did serve in his administration because she would be the only adult in the room. I want at least one sane person in Trump's cabinet, just one. And I'm crossing my fingers that Rand Paul or even Mitt Romney is appointed a position in his cabinet. But if Tulsi Gabbard can be appointed as Secretary of State or any position, I would breathe a little bit easier knowing that she's there and uh, she's influencing Trump. Now, I'm also torn because it would almost certainly guarantee that Tulsi doesn't run in 2020 because she's going to have a vested interest in maintaining the current administration because that's who's given her a job. So, you know, you win some, you lose some with this. Now, here's the thing. I made a mistake in thinking that by endorsing Bernie Sanders, Tulsi therefore endorsed all of Bernie Sanders' policy positions because when you really look at her policies, you have to be objective and call them out for what they are. They're not very progressive. So, for example, she's not in favor of a Medicare for all system. She was also another one that was late to the party when it comes to same-sex marriage. However, there is nuance. I mean, she supports marijuana legalization. She also wants to ban super and move towards public financing. So she's not as progressive as Bernie Sanders, no. Here's the thing, though, about her running in 2020. I think that she can still win, even if her policies aren't as progressive. She's charismatic enough to be an Obama type of figure. And if she at least puts forward one very progressive policy, like free college tuition, uh, at the start of her campaign, and we really believe her that she's going to fight for that, I think she can win, and if she frankly just runs on banning super PACs alone and getting public finance elections, I think she could win, and I would absolutely support her in that scenario. So the takeaway is that I still very much like Tulsi Gabbard, but you can't agree with someone 
and you won't agree with someone on 100% of the issues. I didn't agree with Bernie Sanders on everything. I didn't agree with Jill Stein on everything. And I certainly don't agree with Tulsi Gabbard or Keith Ellison or Jeff Merkley on every single policy issue. But she's not as damaged as Hillary Clinton was. So if she did run and she were the Democratic nominees in t- nominee in 2020, I-, I would support her. However, if she is in Trump's cabinet position, that means she probably wouldn't run in 2020. So, look, she has a lot of time to build up her progressive record. She's coming out against the Dakota Access Pipeline. She's speaking out on behalf of water protectors. She stood up for Bernie Sanders when nobody had the guts to do that. So I think she's really building her reputation. And in the areas where she's more conservative, like on guns, I don't think that's going to be a bad thing in the general election. Uh, When it comes to Islamic extremism, I disagree with her on that stance. But, I mean, look. I'll support her if she runs, depending on who else is running. But, I mean, if she's going to be in Trump's cabinet, I think this is a win-win for everyone because we need someone who is rational to be helping him make decisions because right now it's just a joke. Everyone in his cabinet is just, thus far that we know about anyways, are stupid. They're just stupid people. So we need Tulsi Gabbard to be there. So, look, I think that she will continue to be a prominent figure in American politics and where she wants to go, it's up to her right now. I think that... uh You know, the American people would be receptive to her if she decided to run a populist campaign. But, I mean, if she wanted to serve in Donald Trump's administration, that would damage her credibility among the left, I think. Uh, But at the same time, uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's a tough situation. But when it comes to the question as to whether or not she should accept the position if Trump offered it to her... Yeah, I think that... I think that she should. I really want someone that's not a complete lunatic making decisions. And if she could influence Trump, again, it's a win for America. After being forced to resign from her position as DNC chair for rigging the primaries in favor of the candidate that would ultimately lose to Donald Trump, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is back. And this time, she has a message for everyone. She's the victim, not Bernie Sanders, not his supporters, because everyone is blaming her for rigging the primary when she didn't rig the primary. Take a look. I will be frank with you that if I was trying to rig the outcome of this primary, trust me, I I could have done, there are so many things that we, we, not I, we could have done to enhance the campaign of one candidate over another. But things went pretty well for Bernie Sanders, actually, in this election. Right, which is why it was mind-boggling to me that he was complaining about the number of debates, because... Things were going just fine. The Sanders campaign began aggressively trying to find a scapegoat and turn the attention away from mistakes that they made. Um, And they they did so successfully and and made me the, the boogie woman. But that's okay. Wow. So that's an example of cognitive dissonance if I've ever seen one. Let me ask you this, Debbie. If you didn't actually rig the primary in favor of Hillary Clinton, then... Why were you forced to resign from your position as DNC chair? Did you do it just on your own accord? No, you were forced out. Why were you forced out? Uh, because you violated the DNC's own charter in order to help bolster Hillary Clinton's campaign. And let me ask you this. If you also didn't rig the primary, why is there currently an ongoing class action lawsuit against the DNC where people are alleging that you defrauded them? I mean, if you didn't rig the primary, then why do all signs directly point to you rigging the primary? And furthermore, isn't you resigning in the first place an implicit admission of guilt? 
I mean, I, I just don't know, like, how you can claim that you're the victim. It's unbelievable. Now, a couple other things that she said. She said, if I was trying to rig the outcome of this primary, there were so many things that I could have done to enhance the campaign of one candidate over the other. Again, she's living in an alternate reality. Let's go back and review some of the things. So just to give you a recap, in 2008, Obama and Clinton debated each other about 25 times. However, this time, the DNC literally coordinated with Clinton's campaign to only sanction six debates. And when they realized that just doing six debates would probably be a controversial decision, they decided to implement an exclusivity clause that would prohibit candidates from participating in non-DNC-sanctioned debates. So if CNN decided, you know what, we're going to do our own debate and invite the Democratic primary candidates, then if they participated in that, they would be banned from participating in future DNC-sanctioned debates. You didn't want the message of anyone but Hillary Clinton getting out there. And since Hillary Clinton has the name recognition, since everybody knows Hillary Clinton, the best strategy would be to hide away any challenge that she might face. You did that. You did help Hillary Clinton to the disadvantage of everyone else. Now also, let's not forget about the money laundering scheme. Let's not forget about how you banned Bernie Sanders' access to NGP Van to cripple his campaign at a crucial time right before the Iowa caucus. Also, DNC operatives tried to create media narratives to sabotage Bernie's campaign, saying that his campaign was in shambles or that he was an atheist. And also, in emails released by WikiLeaks, you admitted that Bernie's campaign was good at deflecting criticism and that you, quote, can't let them get away with this. You also tried to delegitimize Bernie Sanders supporters by lying about their behavior and by claiming that chairs were thrown during the Nevada Democratic Convention. Let's not also forget about the conflict of interest. You were Hillary Clinton's campaign chair in 2008. Not to mention the fact that you worked with Hillary Clinton's campaign to move red states up on the primary schedule to advantage Hillary Clinton, seeing that she would presumably be the most conservative candidate, thus giving her the edge in red states and conservative states. If that's not rigging, or at least disadvantaging Bernie Sanders, then I don't know what is. Now, it's not just Bernie Sanders. You did this to everyone that would potentially challenge Hillary Clinton, and the establishment made it very clear that they were going to do everything in their power to shove Hillary Clinton down our throats. Well, look what happened. It backfired on you. You created a primary that was inherently unfair for anyone that would be challenging Hillary Clinton because the odds were stacked against everyone else. And also, I forgot about the uh, superdelegates that automatically helped Hillary Clinton. She had a huge superdelegate lead before any voter casted their ballot. Also, there were voting irregularities in various states that, for some reason, always seemed to benefit Hillary Clinton to the, de to the detriment of Bernie Sanders. So, I just, I don't understand how you are failing to see why people think you rigged the primaries, Debbie. Now, she also implied that since Bernie Sanders did so well, it was, quote, mind-boggling to me that he was complaining about the number of debates because things were going just fine. Right, and the fact that his campaign was so successful in spite of this disadvantage begs the question, what would happen if we were to rehold the primaries under fair conditions? Well, Certainly, it's the case that Bernie Sanders could have actually won. We don't know that for sure. This is a hypothetical. This is speculation. But it is the case that Bernie Sanders was at a huge disadvantage because of your shenanigans. So if we actually did a primary in fair conditions, 
Bernie Sanders could very well be the nominee, and Donald Trump would not be the president right now, because if Bernie Sanders did, in fact, become the nominee, he would have probably defeated Donald Trump, because he was, in fact, polling ahead of Donald Trump outside of the margin of error, unlike Hillary Clinton when you look at hypothetical matchups. So, when you consider that fact, you basically are guilty of giving us Donald Trump, Debbie. Do you not realize that? You gave America Donald Trump all because you really wanted to help Hillary Clinton get elected because she was promising you a spot in her administration. Face it. You put your own self-interest above the interests of the country. That is selfish. That's disgusting. And it's corruption. Another thing that I take issue with, she said, the Sanders campaign began aggressively trying to find a scapegoat to turn attention away from the mistakes they made, and they did so successfully and made me the boogie woman. This is projection right here, because you were a part of Hillary Clinton's campaign, because right when you were forced to resign from your position as DNC chair, Hillary Clinton made you honorary campaign chair. And since you were a part of her campaign, why do you think Hillary Clinton lost? Are you looking at your own mistakes? No, you're saying it was sexism, the media, James Comey, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Bros. You can't take responsibility for your own mistakes, so you have the audacity to look at other people when you have no ability to have any sort of introspection whatsoever and say, well, you know, it wasn't us rigging the primary, it was Bernie Sanders and his mistakes. Are there mistakes that Bernie Sanders probably made? Sure. I think that maybe he could have done a better job at reaching out to African-American voters. But that doesn't erase the fact that he was incredibly disadvantaged in comparison with Hillary Clinton because she had the entire DNC working in her favor. Bernie Sanders had the DNC working against him, and he still won 22 states. It's just shocking to me that she could be this dense. So, Debbie, you have to stop. Take responsibility once and for all and realize that you are probably the most toxic political entity in the country, more so than Hillary Clinton, more so than Donald Trump, because you are probably at the top of the list, at least part of the top three people responsible for giving us the Donald Trump presidency when you exclude people that actually voted for Trump. So, Debbie, you've screwed up the country. You've given us Donald Trump. You facilitated his victory with your shenanigans by disenfranchising the base. And now you honestly have the gall to come out here and say Bernie Sanders was trying to scapegoat you and that you were the victim? No. No, you're not the victim, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. The voters who you defrauded were the victims, and I hope that they actually can be compensated with this class action lawsuit, because what you did was wrong. And the fact that you can't own up to it is, honestly, it, it's just outrageous to me. In an interview with CBS This Morning, Bernie Sanders was trying to explain to the pundits that the reason why Hillary Clinton and Democrats lost this election was because they failed to appeal to working class voters, and they just couldn't comprehend this argument, and they kept bringing up James Comey. And just when you thought that this interview couldn't get any worse, they dropped this bomb on Bernie Sanders. How long was the primary between the two of you? Did it last? A long time. A long time. Do you bear some responsibility in raising some of those concerns? Do you feel any guilt about her loss? <laughs> well, I guess if we believe that somebody who the establishment brings forward has a right to be anointed and nobody should run against her, I guess yes. Look, Bernie Sanders' response there was perfect. They're literally questioning whether or not he's responsible or feels guilty for Hillary Clinton losing because he dared to run in a primary in a democracy. 
Look, this is part of the reason besides her policies why people just don't like Hillary Clinton. It's that entitlement. It's that feeling as though, you know, she's inevitable and that she was going to be president no matter what, whether you liked it or not. And everyone in the Democratic establishment treated her the same way. I mean, you had five people run for president in the Democratic Party. That's it. Five people. And then uh, two people dropped out before the Iowa caucus. So you had three people, basically. And everybody just stepped aside and allowed the queen to assume the throne. That's not how a democracy works. You are not inevitable. You are not entitled to that position. So Bernie Sanders, I'm glad that he laughed in their face because I, I really think it's egregious and just straight offensive to declare Hillary Clinton the queen of the country. No, she's not entitled to that position. And for him to take any guilt or responsibility for challenging her, it's absurd to me. I am winning. I am Women. And really, this speaks to the media's treatment of Bernie Sanders. I mean, they saw him as getting in the way of what was inevitable, getting in the way of Hillary Clinton and what was rightfully owed to her. That is the office of the presidency. And that's not the way that America works. And if anything, voters, they recoil at the thought of a monarchy or this entitlement to being in the White House. And they voted against Hillary Clinton. They don't like when you try to shove a candidate down our throats. That's not the way that democracy works. And if you really want to live in that type of environment, then go live in an authoritarian regime. You have many to choose from. But in a democracy, we actually choose our leaders. The media doesn't just declare, declare or anoint someone a leader for us. We make the decision ultimately. So I think that this news anchor, you know, she's everything that's wrong with the media and how the media treated Bernie Sanders as this inconvenient leech that was only sucking away Hillary Clinton's chances at becoming president. No, Hillary Clinton lost because the American people did not want Hillary Clinton to be the president. We rejected her in 2008, and we rejected her again. So now, how about you learn your lesson and actually listen to people like Bernie Sanders because he would have defeated Donald Trump if he was the nominee. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. Big league. Bernie Sanders believes that Democrats got their asses handed to them because they simply abandoned the working class. And that's absolutely true. You have Hillary Clinton abandoning the working class in favor of big moneyed interests. And he said that if they do not move away from this overemphasis on identity politics, they're going to continue to lose. Specifically, he states, here's my point, and this is where there's going to be a division within the Democratic Party. It is not good enough for somebody to say, I'm a woman, vote for me. No, that's not good enough. What we need is a woman who has the guts to stand up to Wall Street, to the insurance companies, to the drug companies, to the fossil fuel industry. In other words, one of the struggles that you're going to be seeing in the Democratic Party is whether we go beyond identity politics. I think it's a step forward in America if you have an African-American CEO of some major corporation. But you know what? If that guy is going to be shipping jobs out of this country and exploiting his workers, it doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot whether he's black, white, or Latino. I couldn't have said that better myself. I agree with him wholeheartedly here. And I fear that because it's coming from a white male, uh, many people who do overemphasize identity politics will not be very receptive to that message. And that's something that I think is really frustrating, right? Because if there's truth to what someone says, who cares who's delivering the message, you know? So it is frustrating that I don't think that this message will resonate with a lot of Democratic voters, particularly Hillary Clinton supporters. But 
it needs to be said. And I think that this can be summed up by a meme I saw. I wish I saved it, but there was a meme of a little girl in Syria, and the word said, little girls around the world will be so inspired knowing that a woman will be dropping bombs on them instead of a man. That is a summary of this election cycle and what Democrats tried to do. You know, they wanted uh, continuity on the inside, change on the outside. So they wanted a woman to be president, but they didn't really want to change their policies to actually favor the working class. And that was their downfall. And what many people miss is that representation, you know, it, it comes in various shapes and sizes. So, for example, there's a difference between descriptive and substantive representation. Descriptive representation, for example, is just getting actual demographics in Congress that are representative of the United States and how it looks. So we need 50% women in the Senate, for example. That's important. But what's more important is substantive representation. And that's just representing the interests of those demographics of groups that are disadvantaged. So even if it's the case that we don't have descriptive representation, we can still have substantive representation. And that's what we need in this country. So the fact that we have a more diverse Congress or get more women to participate in government, I think that that's inherently beneficial and it's something I'm in favor of. But if those people are going to get in office and hurt women, then what's the point in voting for them? I mean, for example, if you disagree with this argument, would you vote for Sarah Palin? Do you think she would honestly advance the cause of women's rights? Do you think she would allow women to make decisions as to what they can do with their own body? No. Would you vote for Carly Fiorina? No. So the fact that someone has a D in front of their name doesn't just give them a blank check in terms of us allowing them to do what they want. We have to hold their feet to the fire regardless if they're a man, woman, I don't care what, right? So the thing that frustrates me is that feminism is about equality. So the fact that we did hold Hillary Clinton's feet to the fire and criticized her for substantive reasons, I think that's a good thing. We didn't go easy on her because she's a woman, because that would be sexist. We went hard on Hillary Clinton and treated her like everyone else. Now, yes, there were some unfair smears against Hillary Clinton. For one, many people critiqued her for yelling when she spoke. And I disagree with that argument. I think it's unfair because you don't see many men being criticized for that argument. But when you just look at it from a policy perspective, that's where Democrats disagreed with Hillary Clinton. And many people are trying to smear Bernie Sanders as a sexist simply because he ran against Hillary Clinton. No, that's not the way this works. And look, for me, as someone from a disadvantaged group, I'm a member of the LGBT community, would I love to see a gay president? Absolutely. But would I vote for someone that didn't have the correct policies? No. No, I would not. And in fact, I would vocally advocate against voting for them because you have to really go beyond this superficial appeal to someone's identity. It's more than that. Go beyond that. And the fact that we even have to come out and say this, the fact that Bernie Sanders has to make this statement is ridiculous and shows how much of a plague the social justice warrior movement has been on the Democratic Party. It's unacceptable. So yes, we need to move away from identity politics. It has its place, right? We don't have to disregard it entirely. And yes, we absolutely should fight and advocate for descriptive representation to get more women in office, to get more African-American and people of color in office. But that's not everything. If you don't have the policies, you shouldn't be in office. That's basically uh, what it comes down to. So does everyone remember David Brock? the infamous Republican-turned-Clinton surrogate who 
relentlessly attacked and slandered Bernie Sanders during the Democratic primaries. This is a guy that literally filed an ethics complaint against Bernie Sanders and alleged that Bernie Sanders was illegally coordinating with super PACs that he didn't even have. He claimed that Bernie Sanders was racially insensitive. And then he had the audacity to write an open letter to Bernie Sanders begging him to stop attacking Hillary Clinton. Well, this guy is back in the news because he thinks he knows what it takes to, quote, kick Trump's ass. Not joking. So according to Politico, Hillary Clinton's attack dog, David Brock, is launching his own Koch Brothers-like donor network to finance attacks on President-elect Donald Trump and to rebuild the political left after Trump's stunning victory over Clinton last week. Brock on Thursday night emailed more than 200 of the biggest donors on the left, including finance titans George Soros, Tom Steyer, and Donald Sussman, inviting them to a retreat in Palm Beach over Inauguration Weekend to assess what Democrats did wrong in 2016 and figure out how to correct it and raise cash for those initiatives. This will be the gathering for Democratic donors from across the country to hear from a broad and diverse group of leaders about the next steps for progressive you're not a progressive. Under a Trump administration, Brock wrote to donors in an email obtained by Politico. Though he said he had yet to extend invitations beyond those sent to donors Thursday night, he predicted there would be significant interest, noting that the keynote address at his last major donor conference back in 2013 was delivered by former President Bill Clinton. What better way to spend inaugural weekend than talking about how to kick Donald Trump's ass, Brock said. Everything about this is just laughable to me. Uh, one, he claims that this will uh, allow people to get a broad sense of what the most active members in the Democratic Party believe we can do to defeat Donald Trump and to attack him. Uh, this is not broad. This is not what you call diversity. This is a bunch of rich people gathering in a room to figure out how they can pour more money into politics. And let me just ask you this. Why would you double down on a losing strategy? Because... Hillary Clinton outspent Donald Trump more than two to one. Look, she raised $687 million. Donald Trump raised just under $307 million. So if raising millions of dollars from wealthy donors didn't work for Hillary Clinton the first time, why would it work for her a second time? So rather than trying to actually be progressive and liberal, you think that the solution is more money. No. That is the problem, David Brock. We didn't like Hillary Clinton because she was backed by big money interests. Hence, we didn't think she would actually get an office and look out for us. She would look out for her corporate donors only. That's what was the perception, and we have evidence to back it up. There is evidence of her flipping positions on a single-payer healthcare system, on a bankruptcy bill after she took money from special interests. And furthermore, if you get behind a candidate, they're just automatically going to be tainted because you're politically toxic. You're just a grotesque human being, David, and you're perhaps the only person in the country with hair worse than Donald Trump's. People like you that campaigned so aggressively for Hillary Clinton and thought that dividing the left would be a successful strategy gave us President Trump. And now you're going to be the one that honestly thinks that you can kick Donald Trump's ass? You're, you're hilarious. Donald Trump kicked your ass. He kicked your candidate's ass when she had the entire media and political establishment on her side. You lost. Step aside and allow the real progressives to come in and clean up the mess that you made, David, because... You are not the one who anyone should be turning to for a solution or an answer. 
You're the problem. Go away. The American people don't want you. We rejected your candidate. If you really want to defeat Donald Trump, you don't do that with big money donations. You don't do that by forming an alliance of wealthy donors. Our elections are decided by votes, not dollar bills. And I know that often it is the case that money does, in fact, influence elections. But at the presidential level, people are actually paying attention to a larger extent than they are at Senate and House races. So it just doesn't work that way. And the fact that you think that you can do it again is not just embarrassing for you, but it's honestly just frustrating that you are even involved in politics. Just retire. Nobody wants you here, David. Nobody. Retire, please. For the good of the country, retire. So it's now the case that Hillary Clinton's popular vote lead has exceeded 2 million, and she's on track to actually surpass 2.5 million, as there's still millions of votes left to be counted. Now, this doesn't necessarily change our initial conclusions about the election. She still was unsuccessful at exciting the base because it did initially appear as though Obama had received 10 million more votes than she did in 2008, but now it looks like he only received 7 to 7.5 million more votes than her, but that number is dynamic. I mean, as more millennials turn 18 and become eligible to vote, and as demographics continue to shift in favor of Democrats, their popular vote lead over Republicans should continue to grow, not shrink. So, I mean, as her popular lead vote over Trump does continue to increase, this doesn't change the fact that she failed to successfully mobilize the base. And let's not forget about the fact that the DNC did not do their usual get out the vote campaigns because they were afraid that it would somehow elevate Bernie Sanders' campaign. So they refrained from signing up and registering new voters until the general election at the behest of Hillary Clinton, and that bit them in the ass hard. Now, there are implications about this. Many people are now starting to rethink the Electoral College. Is this something that we should have? Because... Look, me personally speaking, I've been consistent in wanting to maintain the integrity of our democracy. And the fact that Hillary Clinton received 2 million more votes than Donald Trump and will not be elected president is undemocratic. And President-elect Donald Trump actually agrees with me. And I'm not saying this because I'm a fan of Hillary Clinton. In fact, everyone knows that I've been very critical of Hillary Clinton. Uh, and I don't think that we should change the rules to favor her now. But I think going forward, it is time to rethink the Electoral College. Now, look, as I've stated, I've tried to be consistent in trying to protect democracy, and I even came to the defense of Donald Trump when the RNC was planning to steal the nomination away from him. Take a look. So do I agree with the Republican Party potentially stealing the nomination away from Donald Trump? Uh, no, I don't. As much as I hate Donald Trump, I like democracy more than I hate Donald Trump. And you can't undermine the will of the people. It's just not democratic, especially if we only have two parties to choose from. Uh, you have to let voters decide, regardless if you agree or disagree with the candidate. If you don't like it, too bad. This is who voters want. Put up someone else who could beat Donald Trump. To undermine the will of voters would be akin to authoritarian regimes when they nullify election results. I mean, in Egypt, the military nullified the election results effectively uh, when they jailed Morsi after a couple of months when he was elected. So you'd basically be doing the same thing. How does this make you any different? I mean, you wouldn't jail Donald Trump, obviously, but by stealing the election away, away from voters, how would you be any different from an authoritarian regime? Now, again, uh, this whole argument is absurd because Donald Trump would basically be <laughs> very similar to many authoritarian dictatorial leaders uh, when he talks about, you know, shutting down the press and, you know, uh, stripping away these libel laws so that way he can sue the press when they talk shit about him. But again, I mean, 
are we a democracy or are we not? You can't undermine the will of the voters. Uh, I don't like it when the Democratic Party does it, and I have to be objective and say that I don't like it when the Republican Party does it as well. So even though this would be entertaining to watch happen and the chaos that would ensue would be just monumental, it's not right. So in thinking about what's best for democracy, I now have to defend Hillary Clinton. I think that it's undemocratic that a candidate receives millions of more votes than another candidate and can still lose. I just think that's wrong. And the rationale for the Electoral College, it's just outdated. It's archaic. And when it comes to the argument in favor of rural voters being represented, look, they should be represented, but not more or less than anyone else. One person, one vote. That's how democracy is supposed to work. And if rural voters don't feel represented, then they can petition the representative that was elected in their district to represent them. I'm not just in favor of doing away with the Electoral College, but I want to get rid of any other aspect of our democracy that's just frankly undemocratic. That means we abolish superdelegates. That also means that we do away with closed primaries and even caucuses. Those helped Bernie Sanders, but they're undemocratic. So Barbara Boxer recently announced that she introduced a bill to abolish the Electoral College. But my question is, Barbara, where were you during the primaries when we were calling on Democrats to abolish superdelegates? So when it comes to democratic integrity, almost everyone is a hypocrite because they only speak out against the rules if it hurts their candidate. You actually have to be consistent, okay? See, Donald Trump now, he flipped. He was against the Electoral College when he thought that it would hurt Mitt Romney, and now all of a sudden it's genius. Right. So we like the rules when it helps us. We hate the rules when it hurts us. How about this? How about we all opt to be consistent? Because in this election cycle, every voting uh, demographic has been hurt by the rules in some way when it comes to voter suppression tactics in the South, when it comes to closed primaries or the Electoral College. We've all been harmed by undemocratic by undemocratic elements of our democracy. So why don't we change all of it? Why don't we actually reform our system so nobody is disadvantaged arbitrarily? So look, in conclusion, yes, we should definitely abolish the Electoral College because the rules uh, were just simply unfair to Hillary Clinton. However, I don't have that much sympathy for Hillary Clinton, I'm sorry, because she was silent when the rules disadvantaged her uh, opponent during the primaries. She was silent on superdelegates. She was silent on closed primaries. So it is the case that Hillary Clinton was also disadvantaged by the rules, but Bernie Sanders was as well. And her supporters only care now about the rules because it hurt their candidate. Look, I just want everyone to be consistent. Don't only come out in favor of strengthening the integrity of our democracy uh, if it's convenient for you. Do it all the time, even if strengthening democracy is something that would harm your candidate potentially. Whatever is more democratic, whatever empowers voters more, that's the side that I'm on. And I'm on Hillary Clinton's side here. But I wish that all of Hillary Clinton and her surrogates were on our side during the primaries. Even though Jill Stein has been critical of Hillary Clinton, she's putting aside her differences uh, and is being objective, and she's calling for a full recount in several key states where there were just simply voting irregularities uh, that benefited Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, and she's also taken into account the opinion of computer scientists. So according to The Guardian, her move came amid calls for recounts or audits of the election results by groups of academics and activists concerned that foreign hackers may have interfered with election systems. 
victims. Donald Trump won unexpected and narrow victories against Hillary Clinton in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and may yet win Michigan, where a result has not yet been declared. Now, since she launched this effort, Jill Stein has raised more than $6 million, so we will, in fact, be able to afford a recount in all three of those states. Now, Hillary Clinton's team has officially signed on to this initiative, and Jill's effort has gained so much traction that even Donald Trump has decided to come out and attack her, calling the Green Party a scam. Now, 538 contends that the voting irregularities can be explained by demographics, not fraud, and that's probably true, but there's no harm in doing a recount. And let me just say this, do I think that this will likely change the overall result? No, I don't expect it to. But... I think that there's no harm in doing a recount. Now, some people are skeptical of Jill Stein and are wondering why all of a sudden she's taking a seemingly pro-Clinton stance because she only wants to do a recount in the states that Donald Trump won. Well, I don't think that's what this is about. She's taking a pro-democracy stance. If you really do want to commit election fraud, are you going to do it in Multnomah County, Oregon, which is always going to be blue? No, you're going to do it in a purple state, which is where you're most likely to see more fuckery, particularly in these counties that tend to decide the states themselves. It makes sense to do them where fraud is most likely to occur. Now, again, it's most likely the case that this isn't actually fraud, and 538 is probably right, but there's nothing wrong with just making sure everything is copacetic and that there's no craziness going on. Why would anyone not want to count the votes and to be sure that they are counted accurately? What we know is that uh, there were lots of hacks taking place around this election, hacks into voter databases, into party databases, into individual email accounts. And what we also know, unfortunately, is that the equipment that we use, much of it is not just open to hacks. It, it basically invites hacks and malfeasance, tampering, human error, etc. Some of the voting machines in use in Wisconsin, for example, have actually been prohibited in the state of California because they've basically been proven to be wide open to tampering. So what we're saying is, you know, not that... Um, uh, you know, hacking or fraud has necessarily taken place. I don't think we have evidence of that. But I think it's uh, only natural and it's good for Americans to be reassured that our votes are counted, especially after such a divisive and bitter election where 80% of Americans, according to a New York Times poll, basically said they were disgusted with this election. They didn't like the candidates that we were limited to. They were screaming for open debates and other choices. It was a very bitter election where so many people were voting against their worst fear rather than for the candidate that they wanted. I think this is a very positive step. And the fact that it has basically funded itself overnight reflects the incredible hunger out there among the American people to actually start doing something positive and to start creating an election system that we can believe in. And look, really, the red flag here is that the exit polls are really far off. And in foreign countries, if exit polls are off and they exceed the margin of error, then that automatically triggers a recount. So let's do the recount. I support this move. Let's just ensure that, uh, you know, everything went smoothly. And if it turns out that Donald Trump did, in fact, win legitimately, then cool. There's no harm in doing a recount. And I definitely support this initiative because I think Jill Stein, like many of us, we just care about democracy 
and maintaining the integrity of our democracy. And regardless of who wins, we just need to make sure that the result was fair. And I see no harm in doing a recount, none whatsoever. Now, many uh, pro-Clinton Democrats are getting on board with this, and they're finally supporting Jill Stein. But my question is, uh, where were you guys during the primaries? Because one report estimates that Bernie Sanders lost 184 pledged delegates due to voting irregularities. And when we spoke out about that, uh, we were called conspiracy theorists. So now that Hillary Clinton, uh, she is disadvantaged by voting anomalies, all of a sudden it's not conspiracy theory to worry about the integrity of our election and want to recount. You know, it's just frustrating. It's just really frustrating because uh, I just want people to be consistent. I want them to uh, stand up for democracy and democratic integrity no matter what, no matter if it helps or harms their candidate. And that's something that I've advocated for uh, all the time. And so, look, if you see voting irregularities, that's a problem. We should do a recount. Yes, it is the case that exit polls do not match a lot of the time. And the fact that exit polls often don't match the actual election results it's troubling. So either we need to improve how we do exit polls, we need to become more accurate, or something's going on. We don't know, but there's no harm in doing a recount. I think it's necessary, especially with how close the result was. So anytime you have this really close election, I think if it's less than 100,000 votes in a state, let's do a recount automatically. What's the, Where's the problem in that? Yes, it takes time, effort, and resources, but isn't it worth it for our democracy? Isn't making sure that the result was fair and that the American people's voices was in fact heard? Isn't that more important? And look, again, I'll just leave by saying, please, next time uh, one section of the population is worried about the integrity of democracy, don't just laugh at them and call them conspiracy theorists because it could come back and impact the candidate of your choice one day. So, yes, I, I am worried about democratic integrity. I say let's do a recount. If you want to support Jill Stein's initiative, there's a link down below. But look, let's be consistent. If we see voting anomalies and irregularities and potential election fraud, let's stand up against it no matter who it benefits or disadvantages. So out of the hundreds of reasons that we have to dislike Donald Trump, it is the case that even a broken clock is right twice a day. And Donald Trump, credit where credit is due, he's against the TPP and he wants to invest in American infrastructure. Well, unfortunately, uh, that silver lining might not actually be a silver lining after all because Bernie Sanders is exposing Donald Trump's infrastructure plan as the scam that it actually is. So Fortune explains, Bernie Sanders called Donald Trump's infrastructure plan a scam that only helps large companies and Wall Street billionaires on Monday. Trump's plan gives giant tax credits for private companies that invest in projects, lowering the cost of financing the project significantly. Sanders took issue with the tax loopholes afforded by the plan. Trump would allow corporations that have stashed their profits overseas to pay just a fraction of what the companies owe in federal taxes, he and then he would allow the companies to invest in infrastructure projects in exchange for even more tax breaks. Trump's plan is corporate welfare coming and going. Sanders noted infrastructure in the U.S. is in great need of repair and wrote that he would reintroduce the Rebuild America Act, which calls for the investment of $1 trillion over five years into American infrastructure. And honestly, this is no surprise to me. You have a billionaire who is looking out for his own interest. You have a billionaire who will get in office and do the bidding of his corporate buddies. So, I mean, if you voted for him, 
you voted against your own self-interest because Donald Trump doesn't really care about America or the American people. What he cares about is getting into office and enriching himself and making himself more powerful. We all criticized Hillary Clinton for doing the same thing. He criticized Hillary Clinton for doing the same thing, but it was very evident that Donald Trump had the same ambitions. So this infrastructure plan, do we need to fix Americans' broken infrastructure? Absolutely. I'll be one of the first few people to say it, but we're not going to do it to enrich corporations and give them more corporate welfare. If you poll the American people, they are by and large against welfare when you use that term welfare. But yet, we give welfare to corporations and billionaires all the time, and nobody says anything about it. Nobody bats an eye. For example, Walmart, they pay their employees such a little wage that those workers have to go and get food stamps. So, our taxpayer dollars are subsidizing Walmart because they don't want to pay their workers a living wage. They don't want to pay their workers enough to even survive. Unacceptable. Donald Trump's plan is to economize any and everything. He's a neoliberal to the nth degree. What he believes in is privatization. He is a so-called small government conservative, even though he's pretty big government when it comes to a woman's uterus. But, I mean, Donald Trump is a fraud. He has proven time and again throughout his career that he is a con artist. How many times do you have to be sued before you get the hint? Donald Trump it's a fraud, and this infrastructure scam plan is a scam. So Bernie Sanders is right for actually being aware of it and calling him out. So yeah, we're going to fight against you, Donald Trump, if you are going to give more welfare to corporations. If you want to do anything to help America, actually give some more welfare to the American people. Maybe throw us a bone, because you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Now it's our turn. Actually help us out. But again, you don't care. You were elected and you think you have a mandate, even though you got 2 million less votes than Hillary Clinton. So, you know, this is the type of shit that we're going to have to deal with. We're going to have to be very vigilant uh, and acknowledge a scam when it's a scam. And sometimes that may be difficult. We may agree with Donald Trump uh, by default on certain issues, like he's against the TPP, but be very wary of him because he is a con artist. And that's not going to change now that he's elected as president. It's just not. President-elect Donald Trump is vowing to crack down on NASA's, quote, politicized science division, where they simply study the effects of climate change because, well, he thinks politics is more important than the planet. The Guardian explains, Donald Trump is poised to eliminate all climate change research conducted by NASA as part of a crackdown on politicized science, his senior advisor on issues relating to the space agency has said. NASA's Earth Science Division is set to be stripped of funding in favor of exploration of deep space, with the president-elect having set a goal during the campaign to explore the entire solar system by the end of the century. This would mean the elimination of NASA's world-renowned research into temperature ice, clouds, and other climate phenomena. NASA's network of satellites provide a wealth of information on climate change, with the Earth Science Division's budget set to grow to $2 billion next year. By comparison, space exploration has been scaled back somewhat, with the proposed budget of $2.8 billion in 2017. Bob Walker, a senior Trump campaign advisor, said there was no need for NASA to do what he has previously described as politically correct environmental monitoring. We see NASA in an exploration role in deep space research, Walker told The Guardian. 
Earth-centric science is better placed at other agencies where it is their prime mission. Now, this news comes after Donald Trump backtracked on climate change, saying that there's some connectivity between human activity and the environment. So look, make no mistake about it. I think space exploration is not just something that I'm interested in. I, I view it as a necessity. However, I also view climate research as a necessity as well, and NASA has yielded very insightful findings about climate change and potential consequences. So the fact that you even think that politicized science is a thing just shows how stupid Donald Trump really is. And if you really want to reappropriate funds, why don't you take money away from our bloated military budget and fund climate research? Oh, wait. It's politicized science. It's, it's not real. It's not legitimate. Only 97% of scientists actually agree that the planet is warming. And you look, we're to the point where I think we can declare that if you don't believe climate change is occurring, you're just stupid because every single year we are breaking records. So if you can't see the evidence right in front of you, you're just stupid. Like, I don't mean to be a dick, but I don't know how else to say it. You're stupid. If you think climate change is a hoax, you're stupid. Clearly, the, the weather is changing. It's becoming more extreme as a result of warmer temperatures. And now when I'm a senior citizen, because these rich idiots in government uh, are too afraid to stop taking money from the oil and gas industry and want to appease the, their wealthy donors, I have to deal with bullshit climate change when I'm older. I don't get to live out my golden years like these imbeciles. I get to deal with the effects of climate change, desertification, ocean acidification, warmer weather, more extreme weather conditions, mass migration drought. That's what I have to look forward to when I'm older. I won't have the luxury of, you know, uh, plugging my ears and closing my eyes and being ignorant. That's what I'm going to have to deal with because of these stupid buffoons who are greedy. They're just greedy. There's no other way to put it. They don't want to accept the reality that is anthropogenic climate change because this will affect their bottom line. Oil and gas companies, they might lose their subsidies. And that's more important. Money, the economy that we created, we care more about that than the actual planet that provides us a place to live on. Look, I care about space exploration as much as the next person, but habitability of our planet should be at the top of our priorities because if we don't have a planet to return home to, then you better really ramp up space exploration because unless we're going to another Earth-like planet, you're not going to have a planet to come back to. Throughout the course of his campaign, Donald Trump has insisted that he will be protecting Social Security at all costs. Unlike his Republican opponents, he said that he will not cut Social Security, nor will he try to raise the retirement age. In fact, don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Now, he hasn't specifically stated how he's going to protect Social Security, whether he's going to raise the cap on taxable income. We have no idea. But what we do know is that the financial services industry has been salivating over Social Security for a really long time. They've been wanting to privatize it, and that would effectively destroy it. And they've been pressuring presidents on both the left and the right to try to privatize Social Security. So it started out with Reagan. And then Bill Clinton even tried to fully privatize it. However, due to the monitor
Monica Lewinsky scandal, he just simply didn't have the political capital needed to take on such a big task. Uh, so he couldn't pursue anything on his agenda, so it failed. And then we had George W. Bush, who tried to partially privatize Social Security. However, public opposition to his initiative stopped that. Now, President Obama even tried to cut Social Security. However, a combination of Republican obstructionism, since he wasn't cutting it enough, and Bernie Sanders' advocacy stopped him from doing that. And now, we're finally finding out how Donald Trump is going to, quote, save Social Security. And by save Social Security, it seems like he means privatize Social Security. And if he does, in fact, privatize Social Security, you don't save it, you destroy it. So Tom Lopert, the former mayor of Dallas, who it was announced Monday as a member of Donald Trump's landing team for the Social Security Administration, once released a plan calling for the privatization of Social Security and Medicare. I will never shy away from any issue, even the so-called third rail of entitlement reform, Lopert writes in his 2012 plan. Talk to any young person today, and they will tell you Social Security and Medicare won't be there for their generation. To preserve these vital programs, we first and foremost must not change anything for those ages 55 and older. These folks rely on their benefits and we've made a promise to them. But for younger workers, we need to provide Medicare subsidies for the purchase of certified private plans, raise the retirement age, encourage greater retirement savings, and launch an initiative of personal retirement accounts to allow every American, not just the wealthy, to save and invest toward their retirement. Make no mistake, if we don't act now, these programs will go bankrupt. The simple fact in this debate is that people who oppose reform are the ones who want to destroy our entitlement system. Lapert's plan called specifically for raising the retirement age, incentivizing people with tax breaks to retire later, and encouraging private retirement savings by taking limits off of 401k and IRA plans. Lapert also argued that future generations have the option of voluntary personal retirement accounts that they'd control or have the option of getting benefits from a reformed social security system. So this guy is part of Trump's landing team on social security. He wants to privatize it. Now, look, I'm not just being hyperbolic or speculating about the effects of privatization. We actually have empirical examples that we can look to to see how devastating the effects of privatization was. Take Chile, for example. According to the LA Times, the Chilean program was promoted relentlessly by its creator, Jose Piñera, who got himself a sinecure at the Cato Institute out of the deal. From there, he fed American conservatives fantasies of an obvious free market solution that works, he wrote for a Cato audience in 1997. In that same article, he declared that America's social security system will go bust in 2010. He boasted of how he single-handedly decided to undertake a structural reform of Chile's bankrupt retirement system that would solve the problem once and for all. Piñera and his fans talked up the Chilean workers' apparent gains during the system's early years when it seemed to be delivering double-digit returns and lavish pensions to its lucky beneficiaries. What the promoters never much emphasized was how the program actually had been made to work. Everyone entering formal employment after 1981 was required to deposit 10% of earned wages into individual accounts managed by a handful of investment companies, appointed by the Pinochet regime. Workers enrolled in the old system were goaded into abandoning it by cuts in existing benefits. Chile financed the transition by draining its large government surplus. An unprecedented bull market in Chilean stocks did the rest. But the seams soon showed. 
the World Bank determined that fees charged by those favored investment firms consumed fully half the pension contributions of the average worker retiring in 2000. The government surplus disappeared and those outsized stock market gains faded away. Chilean workers undoubtedly know the most important fact about their program. It's not delivering the retirement security they were promised. The program now stands exposed as a simple-minded device to get the government out of paying for pensions by slathering risk onto the workers. And you've had mass protests in Chile over this privatization and they want it undone and you had countries like argentina who kind of followed the chilean model to an extent reverse it and renationalize retirements because it simply doesn't work now here's one thing that people don't realize this claim that social security going bankrupt it's factually incorrect and what people want to do was specifically what people on wall street want to do is they want to undermine the public's confidence in social security and say look it's going bankrupt we have to act now it's absolutely uh necessary that we privatize social security but that's factually untrue currently uh Social Security is solvent fully until 2034, and in the year 2017, it will be fully solvent until 2035, and so on and so forth. And even if it is no longer 100% solvent, it will still pay out approximately 75% of its benefits to workers. So, no, Social Security is not going to go away. It doesn't need dramatic reform. All you have to do is tweak it a little bit. Lift the cap on taxable income and it will be solvent almost until the end of the century. But they don't care about that. What they want to do is put their hands in the cookie jar and try to privatize it so that way they can get rich off of it. That's what people in the financial services industry do. That's what donors, the Republicans and Democrats, want them to do. Hence why the Democrat and Republican presidents have tried to do this. Not happening. We're going to fight back like hell. So by simply appointing this guy, Donald Trump is going back on his promise to protect Social Security. He lied to the American people. Now, I'm not surprised by this, but unfortunately, many of the workers who voted for him and thought that he would offer them a route out of poverty, they were duped. They were conned by this con artist. So, it, you know, it's despicable. It's disgusting that Donald Trump is taking a 180 on Social Security, but if they think that they're going to privatize it and there's not going to be hell to pay, think again. The American people stopped Bush from doing it when he thought he had a mandate too, and we're certainly going to stop Donald Trump from doing it. Well, that is all that we have time to get to today. Uh, this is a jam-packed episode because I have to record more for the holiday weekend, so I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I want to thank all of the members and the Patreon patrons and people who donated uh, via PayPal. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, I will see you guys next week. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your holiday weekend and got to spend some time with your family. Take care. <laughs>